0: Welcome to the Paru Zings Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs.
1: Welcome back. It is another exciting opportunity to have a conversation with an industry peer, For those that uh, might be joining us for the first time, thank you for accepting the invitation from your friend. Everybody right now, go ahead and just take a moment to share this with just one peer who you know could use a little bit of insight, maybe some inspiration, maybe even a little bit of education, but not like course education, life education, the kind that comes from our peers sharing a little bit of their story about how they got from where they were to where they are to where they're going. Thanks again for joining us here for the Perusings podcast, The Power of Values, and I'm really excited that Brent Bowen is our guest this week. Brent, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here, Michael. I I look forward to the conversation. Appreciate it, buddy. Well, hey, uh, we're kicking off the same every single time. So, Brent, were you born this way? How'd you get into the profession? Definitely not born this way. Oh,
2: tell us. I'm, I'm one of the uh, one of the, one of the few, I think, that uh, didn't have a family connection. I actually got into this at Baylor. Brett, wait a minute.
1: You're our first Baylor graduate here on the podcast. Congratulations. Surely not. Absolutely impossible. Surely so.
2: Wow. Okay.
1: I know there's a lot of Baylor folk out there, but you uh, here for Rusings, you're number one so far. Okay. So
2: what happened is I wanted to be an economist, and I realized that when you study economics, you at the same time are prepared for everything and nothing at all. <laughs> so oh, fascinating. When, when I realized that I wanted a job, I needed a context. And so I started looking around and uh, had a friend taking some real estate classes. I said, oh, I'm going to sign up for some of those. And so I, I did. And uh, at the time, there was a uh, uh, an appraisal class. And Chuck Delaney was the uh, professor. Uh, he was an MAI. And he, he made me suffer a lot because- oh. I skipped the first two classes, <laughs> overslept, A little weird, and uh, it's an eight o'clock class. Why did I take an eight o'clock class? I don't know. So when when I finally show up, he decides that he's going to weed me out. Ooh. So he proceeds to begin each class by grilling me on all of the required reading, everything that we're doing. No it just it, he just. I knew as soon as I walked in the door every time, eight o'clock on the dot, here comes the questions. <laughs> so you better believe I studied real hard in that class for the rest of the semester. It actually learned to, to really love that class. And uh, there were a lot you know, valuation was a, that d- degree plan was, uh, valuation was a, a really big uh, linchpin and everything and really? went straight in. To uh, to appraising right after school, but uh, I went a different direction. the The education at Baylor was very commercial appraisal focused. I interviewed for a residential appraisal job, and I liked like the sound of it. And so, okay. once I started doing that, I didn't actually um, ever circle back around to to commercial. I just I was like I, I really like this. I, I like the uh,
1: just everything about it. I've never looked back. Brett, that's amazing. So here you are in. College, you're you're headed down the path of becoming an economist. I love what you said about as your economist, you're a study and you're aware of everything, and and yet uh, there's all these uncertainties out there in the world. And you go and take a an appraisal course in college. Did you take multiple courses or just that one? There was one appraisal course, and then there were
2: other uh, commercial real estate classes that all you know, valuation was
1: a was a piece. That was the one really solid. That is phenomenal. And so was their person teaching the class? Were they a university or a professor? Were they like an adjunct or were they an industry individual? Well, they had they had been
2: in the industry. Like I said, yeah, he was an MAI. Actually, there were two MAIs okay. that were professors at the time. And so they, they both had a lot of real world experience and, and had become professors. And I have not checked back in with Chuck Delaney in, in many years. So I I. I assume he is retired at this point. I give him all the credit.
1: So we did by chance, I'm just thinking back, maybe some experiences have i had, maybe some others have had. In addition to uh, this individual deciding they're going to weed you out because it was an 8 a.m. class, a little tough to get there as a as a university student. Uh, were they sharing different assignments and real world application, or was it more theoretical? That course that you took—it
2: was a mixture of both, for sure. We did a lot of lot of case studies during that class. Actually, my uh, real estate finance class had had a lot more uh, of the uh, of the real world case studies, where valuation was obviously obviously a component. I really felt prepared uh, coming coming out of that education. It was a real easy transition. So definitely give Baylor all the credit on that even though they don't have that program
1: anymore so uh, that 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 made me Oh, sad. that's such a common I hear from individuals that a lot of universities have moved away from appraisal in particular and real estate in general as a concentration which is uh sadly disappointing given how big of a contributor to GDP it is absolutely well not to
2: mention that and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this the concepts that you learn in valuation. They really filter into so much of life, so many different industries. So there's just wide ranging impact to the way we think, the way we use information. I thought that was a little bit of a loss. I don't want to bail her too too hard of a time, but uh, that was a direction I would not have wanted them to go.
1: You are not alone as a graduate of a university that has had appraisal and or real estate courses that no longer have them. So uh, typically a comment that comes out. and then the question of course is well hey, why don't you have them and you know any number of reasons come up. but uh, point is they don't have it now and thank goodness they have you as a graduate. Thanks. I, I'm glad to have graduated there. you know, I can't
2: really say anything bad about it. It was a it was a great experience, great school and um,
1: they set me up. That's a great way to go. They set you up so much so that, although you took a number of commercial courses, Commercial classes and valuation. You went. What type of firm did you go to work for when you first graduated? It was a nearly a one man show. I, there was another guy, but I
2: hardly ever saw him. He picked me up as a trainee, and actually, he was a general general cert. And we talked a little bit of commercial, but he was mostly residential. And um, I got a lot of autonomy. At that point, that I didn't expect. Oh, that's great! Nice. It was nice. I, I felt like I was I was free to to think about what I was doing. I think that that worked well for for you know a, a young guy coming straight out of school, being able to you know have somebody that was that was willing to to listen to my my thoughts on things. Sometimes make fun of me for being young and naive, but uh, <laughs> but it was it was a good experience.
1: Oh, I love that. So here you get to go to work. Essentially, in what you call almost a one-man environment, uh, what was it like showing up? I mean, you're coming out with a lot more probably hands-on education than people just sat through some seven and a half hour day long program. You've been around it for a period of time, and walk us through that that transition from the coursework to the practical experience. Well, um, this guy
2: would tell me I was the definitely the easiest one that he ever trained. The coursework to real life transition—it was interesting because there was a, a lot of. There's a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of theory that when you put it into practice, gets a little messy. And this is this is where the economics background came in real handy because in economics, there's no answers to anything. Um, I always knew how I was going to answer a question in the economics context because it always starts with "it depends," and. I realize. Okay, say this, that again. It always starts with which. It depends. Uh, that's always the answer. It, it depends. depends. Yeah, of it, course, it, of it. course. That's a very very common. I thought, I thought you said. I want to make sure I heard it properly. Yes. There's all every economist has two hands. They have to because you have to say on the one hand you could go this direction. These are the the things that that could be involved. Or on the other hand, you might go this other direction. So I realized. Dealing with the type of data that's available or not available, in a lot, of, in a lot of cases, led to some of those those type of squishy analysis. <laughs> okay, I, there's not there's not going to be a a simple right answer here. So I'm I'm going to have to to think my way through this and track how people are thinking and. Sometimes it became some circular reasoning, but you have to start with a, a model to look at your data through, and then you can start questioning your model with the data. Mm-hmm. It was less cut and dried than, than I anticipated. And I think some of that is a characteristic of residential, that uh, commercial may, may differ in, in some ways, that when you're dealing with people and homes and things that they do to their own home, things that they want. Hope's dreams, those kinds of things with the, the place where they're
1: living their lives, um, that introduces a,
2: a lot of different variables.
1: It really does, doesn't it? I mean, you take into account not just the more traditional activities, but also the atypical and, and very personalized activities that many people take on. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I saw a whole lot of uh, atypical
1: activities that I did did not anticipate. Um, well, here, let's Brett, that's a great jumping off point. Okay. Those are the stories people love here. So, tell us about your first crazy home or, or first crazy assignment as a uh, as a, a newly minted real estate the, appraiser there in My
2: first crazy assignment. Well, I was new, and it's still I think my craziest assignment. There was a uh, a doctor in uh, in Dallas, uh, working at, at a hospital downtown, who had discovered a, a warehouse district, particular warehouse district. He had legally converted this warehouse to a single family property that was finished out with pretty nice industrial type, buried a hot tub in the living room floor. But what he discovered is not only was this location great, the warehouse he had put all windows across the front. That looks straight out onto the, the Dallas skyline, which you know, oh, beautiful! That sounds fantastic. Yeah, and it was just like, okay, this is an amazing location. Yes, but there's nothing like this, and so I think I was too too young and maybe dumb to realize that I should pass on this assignment. And I yeah. said, okay, let's <laughs> let's go, let's figure this out. And uh, so I, I spent a, a lot of time thinking outside the box on that one, finding. Different ways to look at it. I, you know, essentially built a, a lot around the the income approach, which I hadn't hadn't really learned yet. That not looked upon as favorably as I had had hoped. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I'm pretty sure the loan didn't go anywhere. But it was sure a, a learning experience in w- one that I've never forgotten. I, in fact, I years later I interviewed for a job with a company and the uh, the person interviewing me, I was I was actually telling the story because he asked the same thing. It's like, okay, what's crazy saucy? Well sure. It? And he said, Oh, I saw that appraisal. They they, they shopped that over here. And uh Wow. Um uh, yeah, I, I remember looking at it and I was like, Wow, that's pretty amazing. And uh we're not touching this with a ten foot pole, but uh good job I guess. <laughs> so I end up getting the
1: job. So uh it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't a deal killer by any means for that. How did you, having that type of property that someone developed it within its uh, legal use, how did you go about appraising it? I mean, that's that's a fascinating experience that the vast majority of our peers will never have an opportunity to partake of. And yet, as you touched on, because of your training as an economist and, and your approach with the education you received, you know, you were able not to immediately get Overwhelmed, and as you also pointed out, maybe I think to quote what you said, maybe you're too young and too dumb, or maybe not to take that on. But how did you go about actually solving that equation? As I recall,
2: I got lucky. I ended up finding a couple of very similar situations at, at that no. time. Oh my goodness! At that time, there's another warehouse district that was actually redeveloping. And I I found a a storefront. It was actually a a retail storefront that had been converted to industrial loft. Um, and I found another warehouse type property. And then really, I, like I say, I I really based a lot on the rents because there was a lot more rental data available for, um, that sort of odd location, industrial loft type property. Mm -hmm. So that was easier to grab onto. I I had a few sales and uh, I had a couple that I remember thinking, gosh, I, I did not think I was going to find this sale. And, uh, and and that's, that's really how I ended up approaching it. And so a lot of my adjustments were income based adjustments for in my sales comparison because of course i had crazy adjustments in my sales comparison and it seemed to all work out and at the time i thought okay well this is this is what appraisal is like and let's 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 move on to the next one i realized later looking back on it it's like i i can't believe that my boss let me do that (laughs) what was he thinking (laughs) (laughs) here's a guy one year one year out of school uh let's let's go
1: Let's see what you can do. Not everybody else studies to be an economist. So that was definitely in your favor. But there's not much better feeling than having one of those just seemingly insurmountable valuation challenges, at least at the outset. And then little by little, you start picking off some good information and maybe even some potentially comparable data. You're like, goodness gracious, you know, what a gift that's just been given to you. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's pretty phenomenal. So, how long did you stay with that firm? I stayed there uh, a couple
2: of years, and then I did a very short stint um, as a review appraiser. Hey Brent, real quick, were you a review appraiser for a firm or for a bank? It was for a lender. Oh, okay. And I will say that that took me down sort of a, a path of uh, becoming jaded <laughs> about the whole industry uh, for, <laughs> for quite some time. What do you mean? Jaded about the industry? That seems shocking, Brent. I can't imagine. It yes, was. I... I lasted nine months. I realized okay. that they they hired me because I was young, and they assumed I was not any good at my job. I <laughs> realized that's why they hired me because okay, he's he's got a certification and he's very young. Uh, he's we're going to be able to get a lot past him. They didn't get very much past me. So after about nine months, I got called into my boss's office and. Oh, actually, no. No, this is before I got called in. I got called out in a company-wide meeting for wearing my integrity on my sleeve. Oh, damn! And, wow, snap. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know what to say. I was like,
1: thank you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I Let guess. me see. What did what the first sentence or two of USPAP say? Uh, we're here to protect the public trust. am like, woo, thanks for stating the obvious. Yeah. And,
2: uh, um, and so I, after, after the meeting, I, you know, had, had the meeting with my boss and I had just, said, sure. no, this, is not, this is not for me. Mm. Um, so Goodness. At, at that point I, I kind of had a really bad taste in my mouth about the type of work I was reviewing about the company that I was working for. I was like, is this what it's like? It's like, Oh, all right.
1: I guess I'll just were they you know, like a production BC lender?
2: Yeah. They they were, uh, it was a mortgage company that got swallowed up into Washington Mutual. And then uh, mm. what, what is, I think, one of the instruments of their rapid decline after that. So uh, I was, I was glad, glad to be gone.
1: So Brent, if I can, just for for some of the newer people that may not be aware of, of the behind the scenes story, when Brent says that he worked for a company, if you will, a lender It had that type of culture, and then it got swallowed up by Washington Mutual. Washington Mutual, ultimately a significant failure, ultimately had to be uh, absorbed by Chase, but uh, they were known for some, at the time, really innovative loans, but there were also people that really took advantage of some of those uh, lending approvals, and the underwriting standards, well, some people even questioned, were there underwriting standards, or did you just fill out any random name and some bogus social security number, and then they send you the money to buy the property. So, uh, so Brent, I appreciate you touching on that. Cause not everyone uh, remembers that far back to what a debacle that turned
2: into. It sure did. And uh, I guess it was good education, but uh, that's an education. Maybe I wish I, I didn't
1: have, it challenged my youthful idealism. Got it. Well, how did that, how did you funnel that learning? You know, you got your youthful idealism, You've got your exuberance and, and your portfolio of experience. Now you're like, ooh, don't want to do that again. So what came next? I worked for
2: uh, another appraiser for a number of years and uh, then ended up starting my, uh, my own company with business partner and I believe that was 2006. So you can imagine uh, starting uh, an appraisal company
1: in 2006. Wait, 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 wait. So you went to work for somewhere else. So you, you left somebody, you go to work for a lender, you go back to work for, was that a residential firm or a commercial firm?
2: Yeah, another residential independent fee appraiser firm. I had a a, a longtime friend, a friend since childhood that was uh, an appraiser that I'd, that we we've had worked together since, uh, since high school. So he and I had sort of parallel careers at this point. So we decide, okay, we're, we're kind of... A little bit done with this value pressure stuff. Sure. So we, we're gonna we're gonna uh, go off on our own and, and create a, uh, a new a new thing and and look for maybe some some big banks some some people that that really wanted to to know what things were worth and uh, yeah and that that worked out really well except for the fact that um, new company uh, startup and then the the mortgage collapse happens, which is, uh, quite the challenge. That was uh, an interesting way to,
1: uh, to start, start life as an entrepreneur. That really is. Wow. So here you've worked for somebody else. You're, it sounds like you had some at times, uh, similar distasteful experiences at the firm you went to after the lender. And that's when you decided, well, we better maybe go try something on our own and do it a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And you pick perfect timing. I mean two thousand six, right? <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Actually it it wasn't it could
2: have been much worse. We were very fortunate to kind of fall into a lot of HUD REO work after things went south and that that was a lifesaver when when things were were rough. Since then, I've been been pretty happy with, with the type of companies that we've been working for. We've had some questionable clients over the years, uh but the, the t- my type of early industry experience more and more seems to be the, the exception
1: rather than the rule. You know, that's a, it's a fantastic statement to be able to make. Not everyone is able to do that. So what was it like when you, you and your friend from a period of time go out and start, start it up on your own? Was it as easy as you thought it was going to be? Or did it, uh, were there some, some of those uh, scary monsters lurking around corners you didn't know that were going to come about? from uh, being now not just an appraisal professional, but also someone responsible for operating a business? You know, it,
2: it actually worked out very well. Um, at the time, my business partner and I were well-suited for a partnership in that he was, was really good at the the people part of the business. He was good at, at marketing. He was good at interacting with the clients when things got tense, mm-hmm. <laughs> if there was uh, some some you know, value issues that, uh, that needed to be addressed. He, he, he was a, uh, a genius at, uh, at, at having these conversations. So when I was about to just explode, um, he would just take the phone and, um, uh, let, let me, let me handle this. And, and he would, uh, he would do that. And so, so that was great. And I could really focus on where my strengths were, which was, uh, creating new processes, train new people. How can we be efficient? how can we, how can we, um, you know, make this work uh, from from an appraisal standpoint, and so so that that worked well for for many
1: years. Well, that's that's a wonderful opportunity when it presents itself and has uh, the ability to go the go some distance. A lot of people, uh, much like some of the individuals they probably dated in their life, uh, look good at the start, but after a while, woo do know what I know what I was thinking back then, but it sure didn't turn out to what I thought it was going to be. So seems that uh, you all had a good mix. Well, we we
2: did we did have a split eventually. Oh no, there was a falling out of love. You know, it it really was was more of a life circumstance oh, situation. Okay. He he uh, had a his wife got fell backwards into ridiculous money. Um, at,
1: at her job, that sounds terrible, Brent. I don't know anyone in the valuation and appraisal profession that would ever have to be so unfortunate to fall into just a ridiculous amount of money. That sounds terrible.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, uh, so his incentive to do appraisals immediately went to zero. So, uh, uh, pretty quickly it was, it was like, okay, um, you're no longer interested in showing up at work, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to to separate and uh, which was was fine. Um, I say it's fine, it sucked the bottom line. So really my learning curve as a business owner didn't start until he left. and then I realized, okay, now well now this is all on me and I need to rethink this whole thing. I would say that really started my improvement as an appraiser and my sort of involvement in the industry started then. That was really kind of a good catalyst for for me to move outside of my own four walls, see what other people are doing. It was right after that happened, I went to my first appraisal conference and realized, oh, there's a lot of really interesting appraisers out here that uh, have a, a lot of interesting thoughts. And there's some people that really care. And so, okay, yeah, this is good for me. And so when that happened, I started to to write. I can't remember if, that, if I wrote my first article before or after that conference, but I just realized that, okay, I think there's people out here that are thinking along the same lines as me. I think my, my first article that I wrote was on the URAR. I compared it to the Ford Pinto.
1: Oh, wow, Ford Pinto. Well, now here, please, because since it's a podcast, we're going to have to invite you to give a little verbal description of a Ford Pinto because not everybody knows what that baby is and we're not on YouTube. How would you describe a Ford Pinto? I think
2: somebody's going to have to look it up in order to really understand just how interesting this vehicle was. Um, It was... uh, uh, quite ugly and would explode, <laughs> you know, hit from behind too quickly. So, um, not not the best vehicle. Not not Ford's shining moment. And I began to realize that okay, I I think the URAr is really done. It needs to be done. to the credit of the GSEs, they have worked on a a new URER. That'll be another topic for another day, possibly, because I've got my own thoughts on that. But
1: That's a a different topic. There's other podcasts for that good stuff.
2: Yeah. But the response that I got was, yeah, there's people out there that are listening and thinking about this stuff. I feel like I started to, to find my place in the industry. That's really... kind of led me up to where i am right
1: now i definitely appreciate you touching on that i think that's an interesting reference for again for people that may not realize ford pintos if i've up and out you know i'm not exactly uh, tight on the facts but i seem to recall that ford pintos had the gas tank at the rear and there was maybe some safety information that either wasn't paid attention to, or you can do the research and figure out some of the other shenanigans, and uh, you got rear-ended in a Pinto, that baby exploded and you died. Hence the reference to the Ford Pinto that Brent has brought us here. That is phenomenal. So you're taking an opportunity to do some writing, and uh, how did that go for you? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I really, I love to write.
2: I think I've always loved to write. I um, do a little bit of writing in my spare time, and I write better than I speak is really what it is. If I can take the time to sit down and put words to it, I feel like I can get my point across if I, if I take my time, <laughs> if I don't have a word count maximum <laughs> that, that I'm dealing with, uh, I, I feel like I can get my point across, but I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot more, uh, a lot more speaking these days. So hopefully my clarity in, in speaking will match and, and hopefully exceed that because that. Really, the what I want to get across right now or or what I want to do right now is be a voice in the industry for improvement. I want to be helpful. That's really what I want to be. If I can write things, talk about things, and teach things in a way that will help people to become better appraisers, maybe better people,
1: that's sort of my where my headspace is. I think that's phenomenal, and it's really uh, it's really encouraging to hear that you're able to take something that you do uh, well which is right, and do so in a way uh, to help you know help others out in the process. I mean, I, I can appreciate that, uh, you know, maybe you don't have to worry about talking. you just you know, write out what you're gonna say in advance, and read the teleprompter. Then you don't have to worry. you got all the words already done for you.
2: Yeah, you know that that's what I thought. When I taught my first class, I I had a lot of notes and immediately ditched them and just started talking. To me. Okay. So that works. That works well too. I had a, a professor once that he taught using the Socratic method, and where he just would ask questions and keep asking questions. I love that. I, I just to to help people to uh, to work their way to a new thought, to a new understanding. It's like, man, what what a great way to do that. So if, if I have the opportunity to pause and ask a question, I will because I I think it's so much better to engage a student that
1: way i totally agree it makes a world of difference when people get engaged in a conversation versus just get talked at the whole time so your your middle name is socrates is what you're telling us
2: <laughs> no no I, I do not take on uh, any any lofty titles <laughs> names i don't
1: don't have a lot of letters oh, <laughs> I, I i i'm just a regular guy how has your interest in and talent uh, for writing really supported you uh, here in this uh, this this phase of your professional appraisal and valuation career? Well, I, I think writing
2: articles has connected me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I really think that that's it. When I look back, I thought it was conveying an idea. As I think about it, really, I'm just starting conversations because- because what idea can you really fully convey in 500 words? Not much. And even some some longer things I've written, it's really starting a conversation. Because life is complicated; every issue we deal with is complicated. Um, snippets and sound bites and pithy phrases—they just don't cut it. We we're just going to have to have conversations, and I realize that uh, people who read an article and reach out even if they reach out and in criticism um they're starting a conversation and and that's that's great because even if you engage you know i know a lot of people will will talk about the dregs of the internet chat rooms and you know things things get dark out there we do they do but on on some level you know it's like the hot you know i'd rather you be um hot or cold than lukewarm i feel like gosh you know the People at least the people that are out there complaining at least they're engaging, yeah. And and that's okay. And, and you know what? Maybe we can take the person that's engaging and start to turn that conversation into something more productive. And and then we're learning. And then I'm learning from them. Like, why are you upset? You know wh- what? What is it that you're upset about? Okay, let's talk about it. I think that's something that that we need uh, as an industry. And and writing is a is a good way to sort of start those
1: conversations, engage. I think that's a great point you make, which is it's one thing to uh, have an opinion. It's another to invest the energy to share that opinion. And it's another level to actually do it in a productive manner. And I appreciate some of the things you're doing, especially the uh, conscious choice and the intentional choice to uh, share some of your learning and perspective in the form of writing and publishing uh, for the benefit of uplifting the whole industry,
2: I'm glad that's something that I've had the opportunity to do. I'll give the appraisal buzz some some credit on that. Um, you know, Joan Trice published my first article, and you know she didn't have to do that. She could have just said, "Oh, oh you know, appraisal forms in Ford Pinto. That's kind of funny." Uh, trash. <laughs> she she could have easily done that, but she's like, "Oh, here's here's somebody nobody's ever heard of. Let's just throw their article out there." Uh, that was cool. you know, there was no reason you shouldn't need to do that.
1: yeah, that's definitely the case. Um I mean, uh, any coming attractions any any book getting published anytime soon? I mean, gonna become a big time famous author? Uh, no, definitely
2: not uh, I wish actually no, I don't wish the the things that I really feel most passionate about writing are are things that I would not want credit for. What do you mean by that, Liz? Well, I mean, if you want to get sort of outside the appraisal sphere. Yeah, please. I feel like some of the more important things about um, us as people or spiritually, if I contribute something to that, I don't want it to be about me or anything I have to say. If if I, if I write something and it opens up a space for you to consider or grow um, or... You know, develop mm-hmm. as as a person in whatever area, whether it be you know professionally or spiritually or um, any other way. um You know, that's not about me yes. at that point. I I would I would feel like that I would want to be sure. like a an agent of blessing somebody sure. in, in that. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. same same way with the writing, like you know, of course there's like a marketing piece. to some of this stuff. It's like yeah, I. I actually am teaching classes and I would like to get students. So writing does help with that. But at the same time, I actually, if I'm writing about something like, I really just want people to, um, to open their minds to it. And okay, well, it's not that I'm trying to make a point. Okay. I'm right. You're wrong. Or like, you know, I mean, some, some things may come out like that, but it's, that's not my intention. It's to, okay, well, let's start a conversation to, to make things better. And, uh, professionally that's in the appraisal world, but I mean, really that's, that's a secondary issue to, um, the desire for us to be better as, as people is my, my bigger goal. Oh, I get that.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I think that's one of the beautiful things that the opportunity of this podcast provides, which is, you know, our eyes only see, uh, in a certain dimension and it's at a fixed place in time. But through a conversation like this, we gain the appreciation for just how much more diverse everyone is in general, and specifically, you know, something of interest to you, and the opportunity that uh, you spend your time, your effort, your energy on a little bit more than appraisal, as everyone else does as well, and and yours in the area of of uh, the importance of, of human beings you know, on a path of growth and learning and progress. So I really appreciate you sharing that, Brent. Thanks. Yeah. I'm happy to, I mean, I, I really, I think
2: if what you're doing is uh, important to that, you know, your, your focus on, on the person instead of the topic, I found refreshing when I first found out about that uh, because people are, are like a combination of art and artists. Because when you're looking at a person, you're seeing this completely different perspective on, on life. You know, when you go to the art museum and you, you look at that painting, you're seeing the artist's perspective on this that you wouldn't have had before. And so everybody's got their own perspective. They've got their own history, their own traumas, you know, things that just make us who we are. And, uh, you know, all those shape our, uh, our, our
1: viewpoint and, and how, we, how we view the world. Thank you uh, for that uh, recognition and acknowledgement. And uh, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. I I definitely agree with you on that. And one of the things I appreciate uh, about you, Brent, and and there's a number of people out there, but there's not as many as there could be, which is uh, going back to your original education and kind of thinking about the profession in general is your, I'll call it fact-based or data-based approach towards solving problems. In delivering credible solutions. And and would uh, love to hear a little bit more about some of the other things you've done uh, in terms of trying to create a, a better result or better conclusion in, in valuation. Sure.
2: Yeah. At a certain point, you know, it's always good to deconstruct things every now and then. We just keep building on the status quo. Uh, that's just the the normal flow of things and it's good sometimes just to to take things down a few extra levels um you know sort of excavate a little bit more why are we here what are we what are we really doing and when i did that it changed some of my approach to the appraisal problem to the process to really what it means what, what we're actually accomplishing. And on the one hand, that definitely led me toward data-centric approaches. But at the same time, I realized that those data-centric approaches don't mean anything if they're not um, on, a, on a foundation that's tied to uh, psychology and sociology and economics. So it's, it's like, how, how are people behaving? How are, what are they doing? And why are they doing that? And once I know how they're making decisions, then I can model that into the data. And now I can understand my data. Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel with data all the time and saying, okay, well, let's let the data tell us what people are doing. Well, sometimes data is good at that and sometimes it's not. That sort of has morphed into different things of, you know, right now where my head is at is... Uh, there's sort of an overarching class that deals with that that's called Creating Formulas That Work. And that's where I give kind of like a big picture perspective on this and then show how to model it and, and kind of give people a, a framework for, okay, here's here's a a way to, to model human behavior and combine it with your data. What I did, the other thing that I've kind of been working a lot on lately is... Um, solar valuation I sort of took that same approach to deconstructing that whole problem and building it up from scratch uh, with the same uh, the same philosophy and the the same approach and that I've been uh, just teaching on my own small batch <laughs> small batch teaching so uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that at this point kind of working on it there's some different directions that I'd like to go but yeah that, that's really what's what's keeping me busy and where my professional direction is going right now.
1: That's really encouraging to hear that uh, out of your own personal interest to better understand, as well as taking a bigger picture approach to, in this case, uh, real estate valuation and specifically residential real estate valuation with the intersections of psychology, sociology, and economics, that... Yes, the results do show up in data, but that doesn't always mean that the results that we see we fully understand. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, it's funny.
2: I I uh, I'm working on a of a speech right now. I'm going to be talking at the Acts Conference uh, in April. In oh yeah, it's coming up soon. Congratulations. Thanks. I uh, I was trying to think of a different angle to. To approach this this topic, I don't want to just keep saying the same things over and over again. So I I stumbled upon a topic that that really resonated with me with all this, and it's really I don't know if this is maybe this is too too detailed
1: or too boring for this particular thought. Brandon, pardon me, I'm, I'm interrupting you, and I know I'm doing that, uh, but part of that is on the podcast. It's an opportunity for people to be able to hear to uh, incorporate. And ultimately, maybe even act upon some some uh, spark of information or of intuition or of excitement that they hear from someone else. And they're like, wow, I didn't know that was possible. Or, hey, it's great to hear that that opportunity exists. Or, oh, goodness, l- look how much more I'm like Brent versus not like Brent. And there's so many more uh, pathways I might pursue. So, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. And, and then we'll be, uh, after that, we'll probably start moving to wrap up, but tell us a little about that, Brent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was doing some reading about, uh, structured data versus unstructured
1: data. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay. I actually am, but most people are not. So give us just a, give us like a third grader understanding of structured data versus unstructured data.
2: Okay. So, uh, in this move and, and all the sort of the impetus towards data science, um, when appraisers are applying a lot of these techniques, they need to to realize that there's limitations to the data, and one of those limitations is the type of data. Structured data is data that's easily quantified and manipulated. So your gross living area, your lot size, bedroom count, that's all structured data. Um, then there's other data, which is unstructured, and it's not so easily quantifiable. Um, and you have to understand what to do with that. That would be like quality and condition. I mean, everybody would knows that quality and condition, that's huge. Those are some of your huge variables and how much a house is going to be worth, but it's unstructured. So you have to learn how to deal with that, um, how to convert unstructured data sometimes or or whatever way you want to deal with it, in order to account for those things. And what people do often is they ignore the unstructured data and they just deal with all the structured data. That's easy to, to deal with, easy to manipulate. It's uh, there's so many programs that, that are so good at dealing with structured data. Um, And okay, well here I've got all these cool programs, all the structured data is in there and I'm drawing conclusions. Wait, you've got, um, all the unstructured data you haven't dealt with yet. So don't, we can't ignore that. And so, uh, so how do we as, as appraisers, um, understand that and acknowledge those differences while also, yeah, let's, let's keep moving toward, um, this data centric approach. Let's, um, you know let let's leave a little bit more of what we would have called the art of appraisal um in the rearview mirror and put a little bit more uh science around it but at the same time realizing that science can only get you so far
1: does that make sense wow yeah it totally makes sense i mean to me for other people they're much smarter than i am they probably didn't need the extra explanation but i'm a little slow at times okay so I well I, I'm,
2: glad, I'm, I'm glad i'm glad i you. i uh didn't uh, didn't botch that too bad.
1: No, no, not at all, not at all. Thank goodness uh, I made it to the fourth grade, so I got a little better. I, I'm a little bit ahead of the third grade explanation, so I appreciate making it easier for me. That helps out a ton. That helps out a ton. Well, Brent, we always love to hear from our peers, uh, you know, given everything you've learned, and your background, your education, being an esteemed graduate of uh, Baylor University, as you look out over the future, the next couple of years, maybe three to five years, uh, what are you hopeful about, or what are you looking forward to as it relates to the industry? Okay.
2: Well, you know, we've got some hurdles for sure. Just, just a few, you know, it's easy to look at the hurdles and, and I just like everybody else, I get, I get wrapped up in those, um, myself. Um, but what I've noticed in, in just recently kind of taking some steps to connect more and more, what I'm realizing I'm meeting so many, especially younger appraisers, that are just like top-notch people. They want to do it right. They're just hungry to learn. And it, 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 I'm just, I'm impressed with so many people that I've come in contact with. Like some of my students, I'm just like, man, you're asking great questions. Like I just sat down with, with a group of, of younger appraisers not too long ago and you know they were peppering me with questions And I was just like, I was just humbled. Number one, I was like, you, you are, wow, that's amazing. You guys are all smart. You're top notch people. The fact that you're, you're here engaging at this level in this industry at your age, it's like, wow, I, I wish I would have had that when, when I was your age. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, okay, I think if, these are the people that are entering the industry that are learning and
1: growing in the appraisal field. Um, I think we might be all right. That's encouraging. That is very encouraging. That's very encouraging for, uh, for those of us that also know you as a, as a author and creator, uh, any other, any other things you're kind of looking out for or looking forward to over the next three to five years that you might be creating? Well, like this is just pretty new. I've, I've written a lot. I,
2: not a lot. I've written a little uh, about this short-term rental issue. I've done a little bit of research in there, and and I am putting a little bit of work into, into that right now. Um, I don't know. I, so maybe I'm ADD. Does it sound like this? I, I I think I sound ADHD. I've got too many different projects, too many different things, but this is, this is the way my brain works. I just...
1: Oh, Brett, that's what's Trello for. You create a little board, you just post it up there and let it sit there, and you come back to it if you want to.
2: Yeah, yeah. I You would not believe the uh, amount of scratch paper I've got cluttering my desk of different things. I just, something comes into my mind. I scratch
1: down some notes on it. Oh, Brett, come on, man. Mind map, buddy. Go to mindmap.com. You know, use that or better yet, just uh, like me here on this wall. You can't see it, actually. I'm pointing at It's just a whole wall. It has nothing on it. No art, no, 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 no frame stuff. It's just a place to just get stuff off the desk. But over there where I can kind of see and allow the mind to do some visual connection. Yeah, I, I need to,
2: uh, I need to try out some of that. I, I'm tactile. I like actually writing physically and holding, you know, I can, I feel like I can conceptualize better when I want to have it there. But, you know, when I could learn and grow. I could try the new things So I could, uh,
1: I could try those, those new new apps
2: and see what happens.
1: Appreciate it, man. Well, good stuff. Well, Brent, I just want to, again, thank you for joining us here on perusing the power of values podcast. It's, it's always such a gift to hear just the professional path that others have been on and kind of how they're connecting the dots and what they're dealing with and what they're doing and, and what they're looking ahead to. And, and, and definitely, uh, you know you're a unique contributor, and I appreciate that. So thank you. Oh, thank you.
2: I appreciate your time, and uh, man, what a what a great conversation. I I hope hope other people will will enjoy listening to us. I know if I was a fly on the wall, um, I would have I would have enjoyed listening. So um, hopefully
1: hopefully your listeners will feel the same way. I would like to believe so. And and obviously, uh, please take Brent's cue right now. And if you haven't done it already, uh, share this with one. Other person, and uh, you know we we have literally seen our uh, our community double over the past year, and we have no doubt it a double again. The ripple effect is substantial, and you get an opportunity to be a you know a contributor in that. You get to be caused in the matter of these uh, impacts on people's lives by getting to share these stories. So, as we bring this episode to a close, uh, thank you again, and until the next one, go out and uh, as we heard uh, Brent share with us a little bit today. Uh, you know, have a positive impact in the world. You know, consider your uh, path of growth and learning and progress to help contribute to expanding your mind. Brent, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pa Ru Zing's Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Pa Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. Create the change that you seek.